Amen. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would continue to anoint and bless, prepare our hearts for the message that you have for us today. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I recently ran across this wonderful little phrase that Jesus used on five different occasions in the gospel. It's a very short phrase. In fact, in the original Greek language, Jesus only spoke one single word. However, in our English translation, it takes four words to describe the one word that Jesus said. These four words are part promise, part commitment. They are more than a greeting and nothing less than an authoritative declaration. The four words in our English translation is, be of good cheer. And that's the word I have for you today, be of good cheer. And from the looks on some of your faces, that's exactly what you need today. You need to be cheered up. Well, Jesus has cheer for you today. That phrase only occurs five times in the King James Version of the New Testament. And on five, all five occasions, it was spoken by none other than Jesus himself. The first, five, first time of the five is found in Matthew chapter 9. And it's there that I direct your attention today. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to read verses 1 through 8, which comprises our Bible study for today. It sounds like to me I'm in a well. Now, I don't think it sounds that way to you, but it sounds that way to me. I went to the Philippines and I came back healthy. And since I've been back, I've got bronchitis. And uh, yeah, how many of y'all have seen that YouTube video of the lady who has bronchitis? Have you seen that? I love that video. I got bronchitis. Ain't nobody got time for bronchitis, do they? Well, uh, I don't have time for it, but I've got it. And I told the first service people, if I start coughing, it could be over with. You might be let out early today. Because once I start coughing, I probably can't stop. Here's the deal. If I start coughing, would you cough with me? And we'll just work our way through it, all right? Here it is, Matthew chapter 9. What an amazing story. It says, so he, that is Jesus, got into a boat, crossed over and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, that is, they're saying it to themselves, this man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitudes saw it, they marveled and they glorified God who had given such power to men. And I have to say, what an awesome story. Huh? What a great story recorded for us in Matthew chapter 9. This is a story of paralysis and pardon, of great power and wonderful cheer. It took place in the city of Capernaum. And it probably occurred in the house that was owned by Simon Peter. This same story is also told by Mark and Luke, who added some fascinating details, such as the fact 
that four men, I generally call them the four amigos, four men who were friends of this paralytic carried their paralyzed friend to Jesus. The house that Jesus was in was so crowded with people that they could not make their way through the entrance. So they climbed on the roof, tore the roof apart, and lowered their buddy down right in front of Jesus, really interrupting the Lord's sermon. But for the sake of simplicity today, I'm just going to deal with Matthew's brief details of this amazing story. And here's what this story teaches us today at Kavanaugh Church. Lesson number one, sin can paralyze us. I don't know if you know that about sin, but it can. Sin can paralyze you, and ultimately, sin will destroy you. Here was a man with two heart-wrenching problems. Now, most people only saw one problem, but with a single glance, Jesus took it all in. He can do that, you know. And he saw both of the problems this man had. This man had a visible problem, but he also had an invisible problem. He had an exterior dilemma, but he also had an interior dilemma. The inner invisible problem was by far the worst of the two. But most people only saw the lesser external problem. And what was the external dilemma this man had on a physical level? He was paralyzed. Now, we don't know if he was a paraplegic or a quadriplegic. But at the very least, he was paralyzed from the waist down. And he may very well have been paralyzed from the neck down. And that's horrible. Wouldn't you agree with me? What, what, what a sad state for this man. It, it'd be bad for a guy in this day, in this time, living in America to be that way. But for this man in the ancient day where he lived... It was catastrophic. It was horrible. You know what? That wasn't the worst part of it. The worst of it was the fact that this man was paralyzed in his heart. Not only was his body paralyzed, his heart was paralyzed. He felt guilty, at fault, wicked, ashamed. He felt self-condemning. Now, I've studied this, this story for a long time. And uh, th there are different theories about this young man. I've, I've developed my own theory based on, on some research that I've done. And, 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 and again, this is just my theory. The Bible doesn't say this. I'm, I'm somewhat reading between the lines. But, but here's the theory I've developed on this young man. I believe that both of his problems were actually intertwined. I think that he was a relatively young man, had been in good health, had been what we would call kind of a, a risk taker, a kid that liked to take things to the extreme, you know the type, that liked to do the daring, and when someone double dog dared him, he did it. Any of you out there? And I have come to the conclusion that one day this guy was goofing off with some of his friends, and he crossed that line that caused an accident that not only paralyzed himself, but perhaps hurt others as well. We read about this all the time in the newspapers. You know about it. People cross the line. Police officers have a, a name for this line they cross. They call it the stupid line. Do you know what I'm talking about? When we go beyond taking a risk and we do something that is really stupid. 
How many of you out there have actually done this? How many of you have at one time, leave your hands up because I'm going to look. You've crossed the stupid line. Okay. You know what? Most of the hands that are raised are guys. There are, there are a few girls out there, but most of the, and, and the rest of you guys who didn't, do, didn't raise your hand, you either live a really boring life or you're asleep or you're lying. I don't know. I don't know which one it is, but, uh, you know, we learn from our mistakes, and I'll have to tell you that the uh, apple sure doesn't fall far from the tree because my dad still tells me things he did when he was a kid that I do not believe he did. I mean, they are that stupid, all right? <laughs> they are that crazy. But I pulled a couple of them when I was a kid as well. I'll never forget the Friday night in 1979. I was a senior in high school, and I had some buddies with me in, in the, the Starship Laguna SS. That was my car. It was a Chevrolet Laguna SS. We did call it the Starship because she would fly, all right? Uh, yeah, I had a 400 in it but that I burned the valves up. And anyway, that's another story. But uh, we were out just cruising around, having a good time, doing what, you know, teenage boys do, I guess. And um, I happened to be going north on Frankfurt Avenue in Lubbock, Texas, and there's a point where Frankfurt intersects the Brownfield Highway. Remember that, Dad? Not too far from our house. <laughs> Close your ears. You, my parents and my son, y'all all plug your ears up because you do not need to hear this story. So I was going north on Frankfurt Avenue, and uh, I, knew, I knew from experience that as you crossed the Brownfield Highway, if you slightly ignored the stop signs that were there, and you floored it and gave it all the gas that you had, you could hit the Brownfield Highway and pull a Dukes of Hazard. Literally, you could, go, you could get airborne, all right? And I knew that that could happen, and so that Friday night, it was dark outside, I told the boys, I said, hang on, we're, we're going Dukes. And they knew what I was talking about, and they hung on, and I floored it, and I looked both ways, and nobody was on the Brownfield Highway, and I hit, y'all think less of me right now, don't you, than you ever have before. <laughs> I, I, hit, I hit that little ramp that is right there as you hit the Brownfield Highway, and we did go airborne, just slightly. You didn't get off the ground much, but I did go, I did get off the ground. Little did I know, headed westbound on the Brownfield Highway was an 18-wheeler who did not have his lights on. And as soon as we went airborne, he flipped his lights, he pulled his horn, and I have no earthly idea, except for the grace of God, how he didn't hit us. You could have probably slid a piece of paper between my rear bumper and his front right bumper. Scared me to death. We stopped and pulled off the road. And right there, I learned some lessons. Number one, I learned that I was not Bo Duke. Number two, I realized that I was not driving the General Lee. I'm trying to get you to laugh a little bit, lighten this up. Then I realized how selfish I really was and how stupid I was. Gary, what if, what if that truck would have hit us? Well, the worst scenario, it could have killed all of us. It could have killed all four of us. I could have paralyzed my friends. I could have paralyzed myself. How selfish. How stupid. I crossed the stupid line. Huh? I really believe the man in Matthew chapter 9, in my speculative opinion, 
crossed the stupid line. And he caused this accident that resulted in his own paralysis. And perhaps he hurt other people as well. What do I base that on? Well, in the notes to John MacArthur's study Bible, he makes the same observation. Dr. MacArthur writes, Jesus' words of forgiveness may indicate that the paralysis was a direct consequence of the man's own sin. Now, whether my speculation is true or not, we can say this. This man was paralyzed, both on the outside and on the inside. He was paralyzed by sin. But here's the good news. And I know I've been heavy on you. You're all deflated and depressed, and you have a lesser opinion of me right now than you did 10 minutes ago. But here's the good news. Jesus looked at this man and said, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Here's what I know about guilt. Guilt can cripple us. Guilt can paralyze us. I mean, just telling you that story of that stupid thing I did back in 1979 brings a sense of guilt on me. Hmm? Because we've all done things that have been a mistake. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all been crippled by guilt. We've been paralyzed by guilt. Guilt can alter your personality and even your relationships. It can erode your self-image, and it can sap your morale. I read the other day about a man who described himself as being paralyzed by alcoholism. Later in the article, he uses the same phrase by saying he was also paralyzed by sexual addiction. What I was intrigued with was his use of that term, paralyzed. He was paralyzed by the addiction. But that's what addictions do to us. They paralyze us. I don't know what your situation is, but maybe you're paralyzed by guilt. It could be that, that years ago when you were younger, you were promiscuous at some point. The Bible term for that is you committed fornication. You had sex before marriage. Maybe the scenario is after you got married, you've had an affair in the past. And nobody knows about it. Nobody knows your dirty laundry. But you do. And the guilt of that is eating you up on the inside. It is affecting your personality. You can't sleep at night. It's affecting your marriage or your relationships. Some people I know feel a powerful sense of illogical and invalid guilt because they were sexually abused as a child. Or perhaps they were physically abused by a parent or a spouse. And even though that was not their fault, it wasn't your fault. For some strange reason, you feel guilt over it. One man I recently read about said that when he was a teenager, he got into a raging argument with his dad. They exchanged words. They even shoved one another. The young man got mad. He stormed out of the house. He got in his car peeled out of the driveway, squalled down the street, and took off in a raging, mad torrent. He was gone for 25 minutes and decided to swing back by the house, and when he pulled back by the house, he saw that there was an emergency vehicle in the driveway. You see, right after he left, his dad had a heart attack and died. 
The young guy said the guilt of that day descended on him like a shadow, and it has not left his life for 20 years. Well, here's what I know, church. Even though we do stupid things, and even though we hurt ourselves and others, this is where the Bible shines. This is where Jesus Christ excels. You see, Jesus is an expert in dealing with these matters. And in our passage today, he deals with this problem headlong. And his words are for you and me just as they were for this paralyzed young man lying on the cot before him. And what did Jesus say to this young man? What answer does he give to our guilt? He spoke eight words. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Wow. Wow. That, that brings me to the second lesson. Not only can sin paralyze us, but number two, Jesus can pardon us. Huh? Yeah, wake up, guys. Put a smile on your face. This is where it's good. Jesus can pardon us. There, there are two things I want you to notice about this. First, Jesus pronounces forgiveness. He told the man, just as he tells you and me, your sins are forgiven. But Matthew does something very unusual in his recounting of the story. Matthew shifts the camera from the focus of this young man, and we do not get his immediate response. In fact, what Jesus does, he turns the lens to other people sitting in the room, specifically some of the Jewish authorities. Notice what verse 3 says. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, again, get this, they were saying this inside their own minds, this man blasphemes. What they were saying is this, who does he think he is forgiving sin? He doesn't have the authority to do that. That's what they were thinking. Now, let me do a quick time out and talk to you just for a moment about forgiveness. The Bible teaches us that you and I have a very limited capacity to forgive sins, only on a limited basis in a secondary sense. So it goes like this. Let's say you and I get into an argument, and we say things that we regret saying to one another, and we get mad at one another, and we say ugly things to each other, and then we go our way. And we get to feeling bad about that. And the Holy Spirit convicts us about that. And so we come back together and we ask each other to forgive for the words that we've spoken. Would you please forgive me? I spoke out of turn. Would you please forgive me? I did not mean what I said. Please forgive me. The Bible teaches if that is our heart condition, if we really confess it and really mean it, then you know what? We're obligated to accept the forgiveness and to forgive one another. Okay? In fact, Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave us. So we are to forgive one another. But our forgiveness of another person is limited to what they did or said against us. And it is restricted to simply duplicating the forgiveness that we ourselves have received from God. But you and I cannot forgive sin. We cannot forgive sin. We cannot absolve anyone's guilt. Only God can do that. 
As a preacher, I don't have the power to forgive you of your sins. I cannot absolve the guilt away from your life. You can't do that to one another. You can't do it to yourself. Parents can't do it for their kids. Only God can do that. And really, in an ultimate primary sense, only God can extend true forgiveness because, you see, it is against His law that we have sinned and we have broken. And it is against Him and Him alone that our sin occurs. Even when King David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah the Hittite murdered and then lied about it to the nation. Remember what he prayed in Psalms 51, his prayer to God? He said, against you and you only have I sinned. David had it right. Yes, he had sinned against Bathsheba. Yes, he had sinned against Uriah the Hittite. But the bottom line, he sinned against God. It was God's holy law that he had broken and God's holy character that he had violated. So in Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus said to this young man, your sins are forgiven, he was claiming to do something that only God could do. He was acting on a prerogative that only God himself could exercise. And really, church, nothing about this passage makes any sense whatsoever if we don't accept the biblical premise that Jesus Christ is holy and fully God. He's not just the Son of God. He is God the Son. He is the second person of the Holy Trinity. He is a member of the threefold Godhead. He is both fully human and fully divine. He himself is absolutely and eternally God. Therefore, he could forgive sin. But look at it from a different perspective. In this passage, we recognize our Lord's divinity really in three different ways. We recognize his omniscience. He knew that this guy had more of a problem than just a physical problem. He knew the need of this paralytic. He saw his heart. And above all that, he read the minds of the scribes who were there. He knew what they were thinking. He knows all things innately. He knows them before they happen because he's God. We also see it through his omnipotence. He could just speak the words, rise, walk, and suddenly the man's paralysis falls away and instantly he is healed. Guys, that's a God thing. Only God could do that. We see it through his authority to forgive sins which is a prerogative of God and God alone. In fact, Psalms 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquities, and who heals all of your diseases. Only God can do that. And so Jesus was claiming to be God. And so from this announcement, we learn that Jesus pronounced forgiveness. He has power on earth to forgive sins. And the good news is this. He can forgive you of your sins. Right here today, he can forgive you. But the second thing to notice is something that is implied in this passage and not overtly stated. Jesus not only pronounces forgiveness, Jesus provides forgiveness. The act of forgiving that man of his foolish sins was really very costly to our Lord. What was going to happen 
would require that Jesus himself be paralyzed on a cross. What that forgiveness necessitated is that Jesus would be nailed hands and feet to a rugged tree and that his life's blood would be drained out of him and would stain the ground at the bottom of Calvary's hill. The Bible tells us this, Matthew 26, 28, Jesus said, This is my blood in the new covenant, which is shed for many. Why? For the remission of sins. Ephesians 1, 7, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, 19, For it pleased the Father by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And then Hebrews 9, 12 says, Not with the blood of goats or calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Why do we make such a big deal about the blood of Jesus Christ? Quite frankly, because it is a big deal. Without his blood, our sins could not be forgiven. Without the shed blood of Jesus Christ, all of us would be doomed to hell. So Jesus not only pronounced forgiveness, he provides forgiveness. I don't know if you remember this story. It happened a few years ago. A commuter train in, in L.A. struck a sports utility vehicle that happened to be stranded on the railroad tracks. When the train hit the SUV, it veered off the tracks and went head on to an oncoming train. It was a horrible accident. Eleven people were killed and over 200 were injured. There was an amazing story that came out of that accident. It, it involved a man who was on the train. Normally, later on, he said, he would not have taken that train. But he was called into work early at an aerospace plant in Burbank. And he was seated upstairs in the double-decker car, asleep when the wreck occurred. He recalled waking up and finding himself trapped under debris and covered with blood. In fact, Blood was oozing out of multiple injuries on his body. He was trapped and he couldn't get out. And he had the thought, I'm about to die. And here's what he did with his finger. He got some of his own blood oozing out of his body. And he wrote a note to his family. With his own blood, using his own finger, he told his wife how much he loved her. And left a note for his children that he loved them. Guys, that's what Jesus did for us. When he hung on Calvary's cross, he shed his blood for the remission of our sins. And with his blood written in red, he tells us, this is how much I love you. Wow. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us. From all of our sins. So, sin can paralyze us. But the good news is, Jesus can pardon us. He pronounces forgiveness because he provides forgiveness. Then the last lesson we learned from Matthew chapter 9 is that faith can prove all of this to us. You say, well, how can I know this? How can I really accept the reality of this totally and completely? And, and how can I accept this ultimate forgiveness? The answer to that is you can. 
You can do it through faith. Faith can prove it to you. Just look at how this story ends. Again, verse 3. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus said, knowing their thoughts, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins... He looked at the paralytic and he said, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and he went to his house. And when the multitude saw it, they marveled. Now, what's amazing to me about this dialogue is, is something like this. There's no telling what this man could have said. I mean, he's lying on a cot. He's paralyzed, maybe because he crossed the stupid line. He's been carrying guilt in his mind and in his body for unknown years. He had four friends who loved him enough, thought maybe Jesus can help him. So they drug him to Jesus, lowered him down a roof, and he's laying in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, hey, buddy, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And then Jesus turns from saying that, and he has this, this debate or this dialogue with these Jewish scribes that are there. And all the while, here's this guy lying on a cot, and he's still paralyzed. What could he have said? Well, I wrote a few things down. I, what I would have said, this is crazy talk. Maybe that's what I would have said. Are, are you kidding me? This is crazy talk. I don't believe a word of it, Jesus. I'm not going to accept any of it. This is a waste of my time. Boys, get me out of here. He could have. But he didn't do that. He didn't do it, man. You know what this guy did? <laughs> oh, you got to love it. I don't know how long he'd been laying on that cot. <laughs> but all of a sudden, he flexed his muscles. He stretched out his legs. He took a deep breath. And he did something that he had been unable to do on his own. He stood up. And he walked out of there. Wow. <laughs> Come on, man. Wow, isn't that incredible? But isn't it time? Isn't it time? Isn't it time that you decide, I'm going to rise up. And I'm going to walk in faith. Isn't it time today? February the 19th, 2017, that you say, you know what? I have wallowed around in this guilt and this sin long enough. And I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to embrace the forgiveness of my Savior and my God. I am going to forgive myself. And I am going to live a life Set free. Isn't it time you did that? 
Let me tell you, Jesus can do it for you. Jesus can do it to you. If you will just believe. What can wash away my sin? <laughs> Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Would you allow the blood of Jesus to flow over you today and to take away your paralysis, your sin, and your guilt?